Congregation, the text for the sermon this morning is Genesis 39, verse 12. She, Potiphar's wife then, caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that includes you, two boys and girls. We read together the first part of 1 Corinthians 10. And there the Apostle Paul has a serious warning for the Christians in Corinth. That they do not desire evil, do not fall for temptations. Corinth, after all, was a port city, a major port city, full of idolatry and sexual immorality, full of temptations for Christians. And sadly, there were, as you, if you read the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, there were apparently Christians who were in danger of falling for idolatry and immorality. They felt that as Christians, they were sort of, they had sort of arrived and now they were above and beyond sin. Um, they figured they, they could do those things without any consequences to their relationship with Christ. And that sometimes happens, hey? We think that we can sin and that it will not harm our relationship with Christ. But sin will always harm the relationship with Christ. So the apostle had to give serious warning, and he warns that if you, that you can't give in to immorality and those kinds of sins and thinking and still think, well, I'm, I'm still a Christian, I can go to church the same as before. He uses examples from the Old Testament. The Israelites in the Old Testament were the church and they were led by the Lord himself through the wilderness. He fed them and gave them water in the wilderness. They were baptized into Moses, he says. He's using all New Testament terminology. They were fed spiritual water and food. But what happened was that with most of them, God was not pleased. They never made it to the promised land, but they all perished in the wilderness. For instance, they fell for idolatry and they committed immorality when the Moabites invited them to the wild and immoral feast for their gods and thousands of them died on a single day. We should never think that because we're baptized and into the covenant, we always faithfully attend church and we sit at the Lord's table when, when there's the Lord's supper, we take part, then we're above and beyond temptation and that we won't fall away. Oh no, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, the stronger you think you are as a Christian, the more vulnerable you will be to temptation. 
to fall for temptation because you are underestimating sin's power and you're overestimating your own strength. No, the apostle doesn't warn about this to undermine the certainty of faith. Not at all. He's, he's warning about this so that believers don't depend on themselves to resist sin, but on the Lord. Temptations are common to man, he writes, to all. Everybody has to deal with temptations. But God is faithful, and you need to continually seek his help, and then he won't let you tempt, be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, Paul writes, he will also provide a way out, a way of escape, so that you will be able to bear it. That's a beautiful promise, congregation. A, beautiful, a wonderful promise. We can end up in a position where there doesn't seem to be any way out except to sin against God. And that seems to be the only way, the best way, the way with the least difficult consequences. It's not necessary to sin never is. If we look to our God in Christ, there's always a way out. And the Bible shows us that truth in action with Joseph in Egypt in Potiphar's house. And I proclaim to you the gospel of escape from temptation as shown in Joseph's life. And we see two things mentioned in the text, the temptation which is common to all, and secondly, the way of escape provided by God. So first of all, the temptation common to all. Genesis 39, hey, we saw how Joseph ended up as a slave in Egypt before he was sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites. Now he was sold to Potiphar. He was in the house of Potiphar, a high-ranking officer in the Egyptian army, captain of the guard. He'd been sold for 20 pieces of silver by his brothers and the traders in turn sold him to Potiphar. Wasn't, most likely it wasn't easy for Joseph in Potiphar's house in Egypt at first. He was just a slave now. You can imagine it was pretty difficult for this young covenant man wanted to serve the Lord in Egypt. Potiphar's house, you know, he was, when he was sold, he was maybe 17 years old, as it says in chapter 37, and now he was maybe around 20 years old at this point of our, our text, say, young person who knew sin when he saw it. He had reported his brother's sinful escapades to Father Jacob. That's the basic reason why his brothers hated him and sold him into slavery. He was upright. He, was, he wanted to be upright before the Lord and now he ended up in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, and you can imagine in that pagan household he was confronted with a totally different world than he, he had experienced at home, totally different values and morals he had learned, than he had learned from his father and grandfather. Would that young man, trapped there in Egypt, far from home, far from the church, would he be able to keep his relationship with his covenant God there in Egypt? Or would he be drawn into that whole spirit of unbelief in that, in that environment of immorality? Well, by God's grace, Joseph did not become untrue to his, his covenant God. 
He didn't give up hope in God's promises to his fathers and to himself and take on the attitude of the Egyptians. No, in Genesis 39, we're given to understand that this young man served the Lord, worshipped him faithfully, even when he was far from home, stuck in the middle of that godless culture. And the Lord blessed him in his work, blessed him because of the stand that he took there. What an example of genuine faith, congregation. True to God, with the result that he, the Lord also blessed him and even Potiphar's house. He found favor in Potiphar's sight, and Potiphar made him office, uh, overseer and placed everything in his household under, under Joseph's care. So now things were going well for Joseph. He was no longer a despised Hebrew slave, but highly favored by his master. Basically boss of the whole house, everything. Looked up to by those around him. They even accepted him with his unique beliefs and values. So things were pretty much hunky-dory for Joseph to that extent. Maybe, maybe even comfortable. But that's when things get dangerous for God's people. It's exactly when things are prosperous and peaceful and comfortable for us that the devil will make his boldest moves with us. It's so easy for someone in a comfortable position to let God's covenant obligations slide and compromise obedience because you want to keep that comfort. You want to hang on to that. Keep the respect of those around you. So easy to want to keep the approval of people more than the approval of God. That's when the devil tries his hardest to do his dirty work. And in Joseph's case, he used the wife of Potiphar to try to make him unfaithful to his covenant God. It says, uh, Genesis 39, verse 6, it says there, that uh, thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So handsome. His master's eye fell on his good looks. It says in verse 7, she cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me, have sexual relations with me. So this man, a woman offered herself to Joseph. While we could say even she ordered him to have sexual relations with her. And she didn't give up after Joseph turned her down the first time. She kept pressuring him to do what she wanted. Verse 10, it says she spoke to him day by day. She kept at it, demanding to have sexual relations with her demanding that he have sexual relations. You can imagine how that went. She used all kinds of promises and allurements to wear down his resistance, to seduce Joseph, sexy clothing, flirtatious looks, words. I'll make it worth your while. Imagine the temptation for that young man, congregation, he was not a block of wood. He was a man, young man with hormones, and he must have felt pretty lonely there in Egypt, far away from the covenant family. 
even though he was still a slave, he had done pretty well in Potiphar's house. He was looked up to, and now this lovely lady of high status offers herself to him, orders him to lay with, uh, with her. What, why should he refuse? Why should he? She's the one who made the, the request, the, who demanded it, and she was the wife of the, the master, and he, he was just a slave yet. Ultimately, he was just a slave. What could he say? And what if he said no? What would happen then? And anyway, all kinds of people were doing this kind of thing in, in Egypt. Why? Even his own brothers back home engaged in this kind of immorality, sexual immorality. So why be uptight about all those covenant norms? Look at where holding on to God had brought him to, after all. In slavery in Egypt. You see, Joseph could have had a hundred excuses to give in to Potiphar's wife. Could have rationalized it all. Do what she demanded. And congregation, this is what temptation is about. Especially sexual temptation, too. There, there are always excuses. Lots of them. I didn't ask for this. The other person pushed me into it. I feel so lonely. I have so little love in my life. Other people around me are doing it without bad consequences. My circumstances are so different from everybody else's. I think you'll agree that when it comes to somebody who misuses a position of trust and who then sexually abuses a child, the adult is always the responsible one. But when two young responsible adults who are going out together end up into temptation and fall into sexual sin, they, can, they might come up with all kinds of justifications for their sin, but the bottom line is they have simply given into temptation, into the wiles of the devil, fallen for him. They ignored God. There is no excuse for sin before God. No excuse at all. The Apostle Paul writes about that very plainly, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, everybody has to deal with temptations. They're common to all. So don't think you're the only one who has had to deal with this or that temptation. And don't think that, that it's okay then to give in since your situation is so unique. No excuse for sin. None at all. Sure, the devil comes with temptation when this situation is most ripe for it. But that's how everybody's tempted. That's how the devil tries to get in with everybody. Not only young people, older ones too. Temptation is even something which the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, had to deal with, congregation. The devil came to him personally, confronted him to tempt him in the wilderness. And he perfectly withstood the temptations of the evil one. And therefore, he is able to stand by us too in all our temptations as our high priest. As it says, Hebrews 4, 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may Obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, our, our Savior Jesus Christ knows the awful intensity of temptation. 
how, how tough it can get to say no. He, he withstood it all, and therefore he is our Savior and Lord, the one in whom there is forgiveness when we fall for temptation and also the grace to help when that temptation comes again. Think of him. Think of your Lord. Pray to him when you're being tempted, and you'll find the way of escape too, and that brings us to the second point of the sermon, the way of escape provided by God. Joseph was then severely tempted in Potiphar's house. When, you, when it comes down to it, you think that through, congregation, day after day, as we described before. Severe temptation. However, through the, the working of the Holy Spirit, this covenant youth did not forget his covenant God, even then. He remembered he had the sign and seal of the covenant with God. Circumcision was a constant reminder to him he belonged to the Lord with body and soul. And he didn't forget it. He did not forget that. Because right after the first time that woman asked him to go to bed with her, he said, how could I do this to my master who trusts me? But above all, how could I do that to my God who made me his own? How could I do this to him? And that's what he basically says in verse 8 and 9. Can't do this to his master, and above all, he can't do this to his God, the God of salvation whose mark he bears. And you see, that's, that's the purpose of the sign and seal of the covenant administered to you as covenant children of God. You always carry that mark and emblem that you belong to the God of salvation with you on your forehead. You are baptized. And you can't get rid of that. You can't undo this baptism. And you can't put it aside in a certain situation and say, well, now I'm my own master. Now I'm my own. I don't belong to Jesus. I can do what I want now. No, it, that remains. And it's always there to remind you you belong to the Lord, body and soul, always, everywhere. And that's something for young people to remember, too, when they, when they deal with temptation in everyday life. Also, when they deal with sexual temptation. And there's lots of that around, too. Don't forget, you, you have that sign and seal on your forehead. You belong to your Savior, Jesus Christ, with body and soul, you belong to the God of the covenant. Jesus promised to wash away your sins with his blood, and the Spirit promised to live in you and renew you and help you and stand by you every time you give in to temptation to sin. That, then that, that clashes with that sign in your forehead, that mark, something to remember when you're tempted, when spirit and flesh battle with each other in your heart. Help me to remember my mark that I belong to you, Lord. There must have been a battle like that going on in Joseph's heart when Potiphar's wife came to him again and again day after day. You can imagine he, he wrestled with that. And, and you can imagine that he prayed for the Lord's help. She wouldn't take no for an answer. But he prayed. 
That's the kind of young man he was. Our text tells us that it finally got to the point where she grabbed him by the robe and tried to undress him. That's how intense it became for, for Joseph. What did he do? It says he left his garment in her hand and fled outside. That's what it says in the text. He fled. For all he was worth, he took off. Why did he flee? When you think about it, was he actually fleeing from that woman? He was most likely stronger than she was. And if he didn't want to do what she wanted, he could have resisted her, right? At least until somebody came into the house. But I think that he wasn't just running away from Potiphar's wife when he fled. He was also fleeing from himself, from his own sinful desires, which conflicted with his status as covenant child of God. The temptation had, become, had come too close to his heart and he realized he wasn't going to be strong enough to resist that woman anymore once it came to that point. Remember, he wasn't a block of wood. He was a man with normal sexual desires too. But now the temptation had become this, that Joseph did the only thing a weak and sinful human being can and must do in those circumstances. Run from it. Flee. That's how the repentance and conversion of a child of God is described in Lord's Day 33 of the Catechism, by the way. It includes more and more hating and fleeing from sin. Fleeing. Well, we see that in action in Joseph's situation there in Potiphar's house. When it got too much for him, he fled from the temptation, reaching for his heart. He knew it would bring him difficult circumstances if he took off from this woman. He didn't know what was going to come over him, but he knew it wasn't going to be good. But he was more worried about, the, about his relationship with the Lord than the consequences of giving in to that woman. Resisting. Not resisting that sin. And so Joseph was not overpowered by the evil one. God won't let his children who look to him be tempted beyond their strength. Along with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape, as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10. Our high priest will make sure that we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that mercy and grace for Joseph and for us would too be to flee from temptation. Not an easy way out for Joseph. He was, so to speak, put in an awful dilemma, sin or face the bad consequences. But he saw the way of escape and he took it. He believed his Savior's yoke was easy and his burden was light. And in today's world where sex is idolized, you know, people would say, that was defeat for Joseph. What a conquest for this young man, his master's wife. From a Christian point of view, though, his running away was victory. Victory for this young man. He was victorious over temptation through, through his coming Savior, 
who promised that way of escape. It's through Christ and his spirit alone that temptation can be withstood, that anyone has the strength to flee and keep the relationship with God intact. In all the temptations, even the most intense and severe, the Lord always, always leaves open the way, a way of escape. Not an easy way. Not necessarily an easy way. Nevertheless, a way to escape sinning. And sometimes you might think, sometimes you might think, well, there's no other way out for me but to do what I know is not right before God, but it can't be helped. I have to give in now. I can't stop now. It's never, ever true, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. The Lord always provides a way for you to flee. Flee sin. And that's a biblical fact. You can always flee. That's also why Paul writes 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, he says, flee from idolatry. The way of escape in intense temptation is to flee from it, run away from it, no matter what the consequences may be for you, as long as you keep things right with God. And we see that with Joseph. Joseph fled from that alluring woman, fled from his own sinful desires, and that's the grace he found in time of need, time of temptation, the grace of his Savior. He found the strength to flee. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's the only way we can escape and overcome temptation too. Not by thinking, well, I'm strong enough and I, I won't sin if I go there and that's not going to affect the sin and won't affect my relationship with God even if I do fall. No. Or, or thinking we can put ourselves in a position of temptation and figure we'll be able to do it ourselves, resist it ourselves. So many people overestimate themselves and they don't realize how weak they really are in themselves. We are weak in ourselves. We cannot stand for a moment by ourselves. Lord's Day 52, against our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. We can't stand for a moment. No. We can overcome temptation to sin only if we know our need for God, if we admit our own weakness and use the means of escape which the Lord provides, namely, flee, run for it. The ultimate way to fight and overcome the devil in our own sinful nature, flee. And congregation, that always also means, and we can include this as part of the resistant temptation to think beforehand and if possible don't put yourself in a position where you know you're going to be severely tempted by the evil one and by your own desires no if you truly love your lord and his righteousness and seek his mercy in time of need you will avoid and flee sin no matter what and young people you have to deal with the temptation to discover your sexuality watch with and whom and where you go out on a date. If there's pressure from the, the, the other person to the person you go out with to have sexual relations and your heart wants to give in, run for it, flee. Tell the other person, I want to go home. Even if it means the end of the relationship. Get out of the place and even out of that relationship if it becomes too difficult for you. That's the way of escape from temptation given by the Lord. 
And certainly, believers can fall for temptation. They do. They, they fall. They, they can fall far even. Think of David and his sin with Bathsheba. And he was a man after God's heart. There is forgiveness through Christ who gave his precious blood for sinners. Abundant forgiveness. However, if you go to him in genuine repentance, then you'll also want to grow in the grace of Christ and you'll want to more and more hate and flee from sin. And then you'll see the next time that temptation comes your way, then there's no excuse for sin. And you'll notice that there is a way out for you, a way out of the temptation. Say no and run for it. You take the way out, the escape provided by the Lord, as Joseph did. You'll flee. And when you do that, you keep your soul. Amen.